you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi, you're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey guys, I love the show. and You know what, I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to have without them. your help, it, it would never have happened. Great, thank you so much. We'd love to have them too. Who knows, okay. they may wind up on, on my website. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here weekends to help you with your projects in and around your home. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken at our website, KenTheContractor.com. And we're going to start this edition of Ken the Contractor, talk with Ken a little bit about some of his recent travels. You had a chance recently, Ken, to spend some time in Europe and came back with some very vivid impressions of some of the different ways that folks are living their lives, dealing with issues like energy and other things in and around their home. Well, I was on a business trip to Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. And for me, frankly, it's the first time I've been in those countries. I've traveled to Europe on other occasions and have been in Germany and Italy, uh, France and Switzerland, and a number of other countries. But it's been some years. One of the things I learned years ago in the travel, though, is energy costs for people in Europe are substantially higher than they are to folks in the United States. That is due in part not to fuel prices proper, but to the taxing that government applies to, let's say, a gallon or a liter of gas. And today, even today, it's extremely high compared to where we are in the U.S. They were paying, as I left there, around $8 a gallon, the equivalent in American dollars and gallons, about $8. Now, folks, if we were paying $8 a gallon for fuel, we would be looking at every possible alternative that would be available to us to heat and cool our homes, to you know, for electricity generation, and to make that car go down the road. Let me tell you, I'd have a burrow in my backyard. That's what I'd have. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be riding that thing back and forth That's to right. work, too. So you get started a few minutes earlier, just the old carrots That's trick. That's right. But, you know, I, it caused me to think about this, and as I had reason to be there for primarily for energy purposes on this business trip, looking at alternative energy sources for some American companies, the technology that has been embraced just in the last three to five years in Europe to reduce energy costs and building code changes are so substantial that it was an eye-opener to me. And some of you may be saying, yeah, I've known about this. I travel there every couple of months, and that's great. I want you to share it with your neighbors, what you're seeing and some of the experience. But the first thing that, that's very evident to me is what they are doing with alternative or what we would call green energy sources. And when you look at a country such as Sweden, it, you're hard-pressed to look in any direction and not see windmills or wind turbines generating electricity. That includes over the water. And I have seen in, in these, this particular trip uh, fields located in the water with 50 and 60 wind turbines out in a bay generating power. You see them at individual households in some cases. You see them outside of cities feeding the grid into the power plants. There's a fair amount of constant wind, low velocity, 5 to 10 miles an hour, in the areas that I happen to be in. But they're doing this because that energy cost is so high. Now, in Finland, 
you find a little different situation. There's not a tremendous amount of constant wind to fuel these wind turbines, so they have moved heavily into biomass, and that was one of the reasons I was there, into biomass boilers that they're using for cogen to generate electricity from and to generate heat as well for their factories and down to the individual home level. This is part of what we want to talk about for just a moment. That has to do with alternative energy sources. We also see a fair amount of solar in these areas. These countries have embraced building code changes that in some locations, and this floored me, I had to stop and think about it a little bit, but in some locations, the cost of energy, or the energy cost for a new home is essentially zero. And you heard me say that. It is zero. And the technology is there, and we see a little bit of it used in this country. And they're doing that by mandating building codes, and I'm not going to be a real advocate on that, but I'm going to tell you we as individuals need to be thinking about what we can do. Make our homes more energy efficient, look at the overall construction of the home, and then look at our heating and cooling sources, whether we're introducing solar power, and we now have manufacturers of HVAC or heating and cooling equipment in the market that introduce solar power and the the network to control that as part of an air conditioning and heating system. We also have seen for a number of years what some would call just the the wood-fired units that sit in the backyard and will heat hot water that brings it back in, circulates it through the inside of the house. You put wood in it once or twice a day. So those are things that we're gradually buying into, but in some cases we still are dealing with a degree of air pollution. This is the real key to what they are emphasizing there. They're not polluting the air. They're not polluting the water. They've got clean energy that's alternative energy sources, And in this country, when it comes to our homes and our factories and office buildings, we've got a long way to go. But there's an awful lot that we can do. So I want to encourage each one of you to take a hard look at your home. You've got questions about your energy efficiency, questions whether it's solar, whether it's a biomass heat system, a boiler heat system. Uh, It really doesn't matter what it is. Send me an email to kenthecontractor.com, and we'll investigate it together. If I don't have the answer, we'll find one or give us a call here on the show at any time, and we'll be glad to cover that as well. The other thing that has become very common, and this is partly because, I guess, of a relationship that these Scandinavian countries have developed with Russia, is they are seeing a uh, certainly a larger amount of natural gas supplied to the country coming out of Russia. And they are also looking at that as clean-burning, uh, fairly inexpensive alternative energy source. And in the U.S., uh, this was, has been all over the media for the last couple of years. We've discovered some of the largest deposits of natural gas that exist in the world. And so hopefully as the pipelines are developed, as we see an infrastructure go, grow, as you and I ask about that when we build and move into communities, we will encourage them to, to expand this. But as we see that take place, we're going to find cheaper and cheaper ways of producing the energy that we need to live in our homes, offices, and factories. So just something quite fascinating. Keep in mind, if it gets to be $8 a gallon for gasoline, You'll be calling. I'll be calling you. We'll be having these conversations about how can we get by a little cheaper. You're not going to pay $350 to fill up that SUV. Well, you know, and, and that is the difference when you do travel outside of the U.S. and you you see that necessity is the prime motivator. Also, the way of life is very different. It's more an urban environment with lots more mass transit being utilized, lots of things within walking distance. For a lot of our listeners, that's just not applicable because they live in mostly rural areas. And and I had occasion to be in some of the more rural areas as well. Uh, Big cities like Helsinki, Finland have a huge mass transit. And uh, while I was there, I was on, I think, everything they had from uh, train, plane, bus, uh, boat, you name it, I was there. 
And, but when you look at smaller environments, they do not. But what I noticed is, one, all the vehicles, first you might guess, are quite small. But also, I didn't see too many vehicles moving with just one person. Now, whether that was planned or whether it's just the way they travel, I don't know, but they're a little more energy conscious than we are. And we'd also like to take this opportunity to welcome those of you who are listening to Ken the Contractor, possibly for the first time, on one of our newest affiliates. That's WKAC 1080 AM, serving Huntsville and Athens, Alabama, and also southern Tennessee. We welcome you to be part of the program. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give us a call, 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken the contractor.com. Coming up in just minutes on this edition of Ken the Contractor, Ken will go one-on-one with a representative from GE Briggs and Stratton to talk about standby generators. And also minutes away in our In the News segment, Ken's going to talk about solar shingles. It's all coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor. Again, if you have a question about your home inside or out, you can reach Ken at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here answering questions about your home inside and out at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Joining us right now is Bill. Bill, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yeah. Um, hi. Hi, Ken. Hi, Bill. Uh, yeah, i got a sticky problem. Um, uh, <laughs> I hate to kind of admit that... Uh, I've got some siding damage. It's it's not from the storm or anything. It's from some guy with went wild with a weed trimmer and cut through it. <laughs> well, at uh, least it wasn't a power washer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, you know, that stuff fades, and I can't find. It's a non-standard color, and so I can't find. I got to order, you know, a whole two squares of it. I guess that's a hundred square feet or whatever, and. Uh, then I've got something that doesn't quite match, and if I go around to the other side of the building, it really doesn't match because you know the sun's not doesn't hit the other side of the building. Uh, it, uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, if if I go to something like a, a polymer modified stucco, you know, like a drive it or a stow, I could. Uh, if I if I do something like a cement board, then I can't really blind nail that for top. Uh, course, you know, that butts up against the, uh, is, is this different the, materials that, that, that would be good for, I mean, if you can't really match something like that, or is, or is there a place, I heard that you could find scraps of siding, it's something like Habitat for Humanity, a guy told me at Lowe's, but, uh, I went there, and they didn't have anything. Yeah, it, it's going to be a shot in the dark to find leftover materials at places like that because they do have them, but to get the exact color and texture and size that you need, it's going to be very difficult. Is this the starter siding panel, the one that uh, is closest to grade? It's down, yeah, well, it's not just, it's a, cu- it's a couple, uh, one or two. Uh, I'd have to go and look. Uh, it, it's a double four. And so I know it's at least that first course that's been damaged. And I think maybe might be a little bit of damage going up. All right. Now, is more. is this severe? Are these just holes that are in it, or has the panel been damaged beyond reuse? I'm asking you these questions for a reason. I'll tell you in a moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it, uh, well, that's kind of a matter. It, there, there's the guy kind of – there's some little strips about six inches long that – I mean, I guess if it was reinforced from behind or something, it, it would probably be okay. I'd rather do that than replace it with something that doesn't match. But see, 
if I replace it, I've got to, I have all this extra siding that I don't need. Right now, so let's deal with the with what you just brought up, and that's where I'm going with this. I would look at having the panels repaired. They may have to be, as you said, reinforced from the backside. Some manufacturers, not all, but some manufacturers will make a vinyl repair kit. You can infill that. And it now it's going to show up kind of like taking touch-up paint to your car. You got a scratch, you know it may blip. It doesn't matter because there, there's dirt. dirt okay. covers that first course anyway. But I would be looking for that. You may even go online. I haven't done this in a long time, but you may even go online and find uh, sources where you can order by mail through the internet uh, a vinyl repair kits mm-hmm. that will be fairly close to that color. But if it's crinkled, you know, if it's bent and and really gouged and torn, that's not going to work. That's why I was trying to understand your issue. It's more about some straight cuts or lines that yeah. are in there that could be patched. Yeah, it's. It, I think it could be patched, but I, I did go online. I went to, there was a YouTube thing about how to how to repair vinyl, and they all they did was go cut some out somewhere else and, and patch it, okay. but I don't have any extra somewhere else to patch it. Well, I was just going to ask, do you have even a few small pieces left over from the original install? No. Okay. No. Then, then one other item you can look at. And that will be to find a piece, can be an off-brand, it doesn't matter what brand it is, the color, the texture rather, but find a color that is similar to the color that you have. Right. And you're going to have to pull the panels off from the bottom. Yeah. You will cut these as patches, much like you'd put a patch inside an, uh, a tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And patch it from the back side uh, with an adhesive that will bond that together. And then you can come back with a clear silicone over the surface, assuming these are not huge gouges. And I'm assuming that, from what you described, it's somebody with a weed whacker that's cut a a, a three sixteenths or so, a smaller gouge in that. Yeah, three sixteenths about. So. And, and this is probably what I would do. I, I would not want to have a completely different color all around the outside of my house, especially <laughs> if it's not severe. I would be patching it in this fashion, if this is a last resort, uh, to put the material behind it. That's the backer. Get it adhered well so it's watertight and then come across the surface with a clear silicone because now it's going to start blending your color from the surface together. That'd be my approach. Bill, thank you. Good luck with the project. It is uh, Sue who joins us right now. Sue, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling about air filters that are used, you know, as part of your heating and cooling system. I tend to buy the more expensive ones that supposedly last for three months, and I date it and put it in. And um, when we recently had our air conditioning unit checked, they made a comment like, oh, I'm sure you'll be changing those soon, when in fact they'd been in, you know, a month and a week or something. And according to the manufacturer's directions, they should last for three months, and I still had close to two months to go. So... Do we have a really dirty house and they're getting dirty faster, or are they really not worth spending the extra money for, or what should we do? No, actually, when we spend a little more money for air filters, we if you compare them side by side, you'll find that they're uh, either a different type of material, the, the fibers in them are closer together, they've right. got to allow air to pass through them, but they're going to collect more dust and dirt that's in the air, more hair, pet dander, all of those things. So right. the, the, the fairly inexpensive, those that are, are quick throwaway that we pay a dollar a piece for, they've got large right. openings in them. They do not collect as much from the air. So I think what you're seeing is the fact that you have a more efficient unit. It's actually filtering out more items in the air 
then the cheaper ones will. They get dirty quicker. They get clogged up quicker. And what that tells me is it may be the time of year because of the summer. You've got more people coming and going through the doors. Maybe windows have been open occasionally, even if there's more activity in our homes. And I've noticed this when my kids are home or relatives are there. There's just dust and fibers that are in your upholstery. And as you sit on those, as you've got more beds being changed and used, all of those things stir up more items, more particles in the air, and the filters will become dirty quicker. But the filters that you're talking about, just the fact that they are a better filter, they're going to collect more than the very inexpensive ones do. I don't think you have an issue. The filter, they may put a time frame on them, but they're going to collect what's in the air. So, so don't worry about the time when they're dirty. Just go ahead and get rid of them. That's right. There may be but other times. More efficiently. Let's say the winter or you're gone for several weeks. You may come back and say, hey, we've been able to get four months out of these because they still look great. Right. Okay. That answers my question. Whatever, Thank you so much. Whatever you do, don't let them get so dirty air can't move through them because your unit right. becomes very inefficient. Yeah, we don't want that. No, you don't. <laughs> we want to stay cool. You, you want to stay cool and you want to be energy efficient. That's right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for the call. Bye. Our phone lines are open. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or if you want to email your questions, you can do that to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Also, don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook, at Ken the Contractor, and you can follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Answers. And don't forget to check out our website, KenTheContractor.com. You'll find a whole bunch of home improvement information there and also podcasts of recent programs. Let's say you missed something, you want to catch up on it, just go to our website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Have a question for Ken about your home, inside or out? You can always reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And it's time now for our green building segment. Going green includes exterior yard and house lighting. And we've got a bunch of different things to talk about this weekend in our going green segment. One of the items that we frequently forget about is the outside when we're thinking about making our home more energy efficient. You say, how can you do that on the exterior? Well, some items that have become very popular we know is our hardscaping, patios, our landscaping. But with that comes lighting, whether it's floodlights, accent lights around the house, ground lights, accent lights for your trees and shrubs. And in years past, those have all used incandescent lights. Not unlike the interior of our home today, there is a lighting source available that uses about 80% less energy to generate the same amount of lighting. And there's one company that I'll mention to you that uh, I have found that I think is doing an outstanding job in taking the lead on these LED lights, and that's a company called iLighting. They're out of Maryland. If you want to check them out, you go to the website and do that through iLighting, and I'll give you a little more information on that in just a moment. But the, the fascinating thing about this is this company realizes how cumbersome installing LED lights can be for many homeowners and for that matter landscapers, hardscapers, contractors in general. And they have developed a very simple system of linking these lights together, these LED lights. Now when we talk about lights, we remember the traditional light bulb that we've all grown up with that we buy that sometimes they don't last until you flip the switch one time. Then you're back down to the store paying another dollar or two when you could get them for those. The LED lights have really come a long way just in the last few years that they've been in the marketplace. They're cost-effective. Uh, the longevity certainly are keys to, to, I guess, them being quite popular or becoming more and more popular, especially among builders and end users alike. 
but they come, these LED bulbs from this company come with a lifetime warranty. Now, I don't know if that's the person that makes it or the person that owns the home. I haven't read the fine print, but I'll get to that. But it's, it's advertised as having a lifetime warranty. And as I said, they use all LEDs, or most LEDs, I should say, use 80% less energy than a standard incandescent bulb. And the ones that I have looked at, some that I've purchased, are rated for 100,000 hours of operation, or which equates to 12 years or more if it's used 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Most of us don't leave lighting on like that, especially accent or just room lighting. So I want you to think about outside, especially if you're getting ready to install accent lights or replace those around your pond, your patio, your hardscaping, lights for your trees. It may be just floodlights that you use for lighting the way in your driveway or sidewalks or just wall lights. Think about these LED lights that are out there, and you certainly want to consider iLighting, and that's iLightingOnline.com as one source for your material products. So save a few dollars and save the energy and help save the planet. All right, let's go back to our mailbag right now with a question I think a lot of people deal with and wrestle with, with yard maintenance. And I know this is an issue I've got. You know, there's those list of things that you keep telling yourself you're going to do around your home or yard. And with me, it's a couple of holes in the backyard that for years I've nearly twisted my ankle on or other people, my son mowing the lawn. And I keep telling myself, Someday those are going to get filled in, and I'm going to have a nice flat surface to go ahead and mow and not at times uh, make it sound like I'm going through an obstacle course. And it sounds like our, our emailer is going through the same thing. Well, I think this is a little different because having a hole in the yard is one thing, but in Gene's case, he has a trench that I think is for drainage. So I want you to pay attention. So There's his a difference issue, here. His issue is on steroids compared to mine. Absolutely. Yours is a hole in the yard that if you put a little green grass around it could be a putting green maybe. Yeah. I need you know, but if not, then all it is is a trip hazard. So a bucket of topsoil may solve the problem. Gene says we dug trenches beside our driveway to handle runoff, and a lot of you listening to me out there are right there with Gene. Most of the spring, uh mostly in the spring and fall, he has water issues. Now those trenches are preventing the mower from getting Across, obviously, he's got trenches and he's got a riding or a push mower and he's got problems with that. He says, my first thought is to fill the trench to the level, the surface, with road gravel, which is less dense than clay soil, but will handle the weight or his weight of the tractor, the weight of his tractor. He said, will I ruin my trenches in this way or will they still work? Do I need to install a perforated pipe drain around and or along with the gravel? Well, Gene... You've got a simple problem and really a simple solution. One, you've got a water issue that you are trying to deal with in some of these heavy spring and fall rains that you get, and you're resolving that by constructing ditches along your hard surface, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're getting the water out so that it doesn't stand on the drive or adjacent to your house, and all of us should be conveying or moving that water away from our house, not towards our house and not allowing it to pond. What I'm going to suggest you do is probably a hybrid of what you're asking me about. One, in order to get the lawn tractor across it, riding or push mower, the stone's probably a good way to to fill that. But if you fill it solid with stone, you're actually going to reduce the volume of water and the flow rate of that water as well. You may find you still have water in the spring and fall that backs up on your driveway or adjacent to the house. Then you really haven't solved your problem. So do what you have suggested. One, you want to install a perforated pipe, and you want to fill around that with stone. 
But before you do that, you also want to install a fabric on the bottom of the ditch area so that over time it will reduce how it eliminates rather the stone just disappearing into the, the dirt, the earth over time as you roll over it. So put a landscape fabric below that, put a bed of stone in, install your pipe, be sure that you're using a perforated pipe. It can have the holes or the slots in it. And then you want to continue with stone around that. And stone is graded in a similar fashion in most parts of the country. I'm going to suggest to you you look at a number 57 stone. If you want to top it with something that's larger, you may want to consider a surge stone, which for most of you, that's about the size of your fist. And you also want to be sure that you're not operating the mower with the blade engaged as you go over this. So I'm assuming from this it's more about transportation. How do you get the mower back and forth and not have these ditches to, to maintain? That should solve both your drainage issue give you a nice clean look you won't have a ditch to maintain and you've got a level that gets you from the driveway to your yard on a regular basis well and and i can tell you too my neighbor did this next door and it's a dramatic difference i think a lot of us for years have had these little culverts out in front of our house uh and and depending on the angle and the degree of everything else it's just a nuisance the other nuisance you get is quite often when you're trying to mow that if you've had recent rains that area stays very soppy and wet it does. so it makes it real difficult to grow anything that looks really attractive in there and uh, the idea is that that you're talking about he did basically the same thing he just elongated the culvert put large pipe in there so now it still does what it's supposed to do but you don't see it and he's got a, a very smooth contour to his front yard it's a way of blending this in with your landscaping and depending on your planting that you may have around this, actually it becomes part of that landscaping. But one item you just mentioned that I have to caution everybody about is those pipe culverts that are under most of our driveways, especially if you live in a developed area as opposed to on farmland, you can't arbitrarily extend them without permits because typically those ditches are in the right-of-way and belong to the Department of Transportation, your city, your county. So you want to check with them and see if they have a particular permit that's involved because you're working off your property. And or does it, if so, does it have to be a certain type of pipe or end that goes on that? Don't get in hot water over that, but it's always a question to ask. Most of you will find it's a non-issue. Always safe to ask the question up front. Always easier to ask first because we've heard from, from people on this program they didn't, and then the code people came back and said, look, you got to take that down, and we got to go through the process again. And usually, you're out that money. You're out the money. Nobody's going to make you hold. So ask the question up front. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Would you like to talk to Ken the Contractor? Ken Patterson, you can at 800-614-2975, or you can send him an email question to KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Thanks for making us part of your weekend. You can join the show by calling Ken anytime at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward your questions in email form to KenTheContractor.com. We've got one now from Ocala, Florida. And this comes to us from Martine. Uh, we want to install an irrigation system for our yard and garden. We are on public water supply. We can do our own irrigation installation. City tells us, though, we must obtain a permit and must have a backflow preventer valve. These look ugly and stick up above the ground a foot or so in the front yard. The permit is no issue, but they don't like the looks, Ken, of this backflow device. Is there some other option that will be more appealing? Well, I can tell you an awful lot of people would have the same opinion that you do, Martine, when it comes to that. And uh, Ocala, Florida happens to be a place that uh, many years ago was involved in constructing some buildings, so I'm a little familiar with, with ordinances there as well. But it's not just Ocala, but it, it's throughout the southeast and in many places where they've taken a very active role in trying to protect their water supply. And that's the purpose behind these backflow preventer valves 
it's not government just trying to make your yard look ugly, but it is trying to protect your health and those around you. But let's talk a moment about the options. Primarily what this does is prevent anything in your irrigation system, the line that's on your side of the property, if you will, from being able to flow back into that public water supply. If you had a broken line that was siphoning water out of a pond that was stagnant or you had fertilizer or other items in it, it could inadvertently get back into the domestic water supply and make others sick. And that's the reason those valves are there. A lot of municipalities will not accept what I'm about to tell you. So you're going to have to go to your public works department, your water department, and raise this question. And there are backflow devices made that will fit in a valve box below ground. But the reason they are typically above ground is they need to be higher than the highest point of your irrigation line or hose bibs, water hose connections that you might have standing in the yard. And that's the reason some are higher than others. So, again, you want to go to your water department. You want to ask them, one, if they either provide or will allow you through a wholesale plumbing company or a plumbing contractor to install a backflow valve that will mount in a box and below grade. Anticipate that you're going to pay two to three times the amount of money for that recessed or below-grade backflow device, though, that you will typically pay for the one that's above the ground that looks ugly. Another fairly inexpensive alternative that a lot of people do is once this valve is in place, is you find some type of shrub or plant, uh, grass, especially in the Florida market, that will grow year-round, pampas grass, those type products, that will hide this but also allow it to function. So there's some inexpensive ways of getting around it and having it blend in with your landscaping and not take away from it. The other thing I do want to caution you about from your irrigation standpoint, and I know you didn't ask this, but if you're going to do your own work, at least consult some of the manufacturers uh, that will design this, and many companies will do it online free for you. Rainbird is an example. You can go to their website, and you can put your yard in there, and they will actually provide you with a layout for sprinkler heads, pipe size, and your solenoid valves. Some will do it on a more sophisticated level for a minimal fee, but some of these are also free. So good luck to you. I appreciate you raising the question. You do have some options, but you're going to have to end up, I'm reasonably sure, maintaining that backflow device. Gentleman I talk a lot on the radio with says make sure you know how to set up your irrigation schedule. Don't water too much. And that's the mistake that some of these systems make because, remember, the, the history or background of these systems is they've been used in either production agriculture, the large-scale systems, but the smaller ones are for golf courses. And you don't need to keep your lawn the same way a, a golf course does. And sometimes it can cause problems in your landscaping if you're putting water down infrequently instead of putting down enough water over a period of time where you're actually getting some benefit from that water. And if you're not sure about how to use that, consult with somebody in your community that understands the type of sod you may have, the grass, the plants that you're trying to irrigate as well. And they'll give you a watering schedule for, again, these type materials. Some grass require more, others less water. And knowing where you are, you've got a fairly sandy soil in Ocala, but somebody in Georgia or somebody in South Carolina with more of a clay content is going to be completely different. So always, for those of you questioning irrigation, consult with your local nursery or garden shop, and they'll give you some pointers. All right, let's wrap up this hour with our session of In the News. Weekly Ken brings products, trends, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home, maintenance, remodeling, and new construction and we like lists. We love lists. We love lists. I mean, we, we are Americans, and we like our list. And I'm not going to read all of these to you, but I want to touch on some of these because this tells you where we're going in terms of our interest in home building and remodeling around the country. 
And Builders Magazine, which is put out for professionals, recently completed a survey and released information for the top 50 most popular products for professional builders around the nation last year. And it's interesting to see some of the trends is that four of the top 10 all dealt with energy-efficient siding. And the reason builders are paying attention to that is because you, the listener, are asking about it. It says, we are paying attention to energy efficiency in our home. The items that we would would look at certainly start out with Timber Products Company, Radiant Barrier Plywood Panels. That was number one on the list of 50 going into homes. Number two on that are synthetic products manufactured by uh, Borel or Borel Stone Products. We've had them on, in fact, as a guest in the past, talking about some of their synthetic stone and stone veneer that's being used outside and inside, also on the exterior, some of the insulating characteristics that may be there as well. Then another one that I found very unique, because really I have not worked with this as a builder, but products put out by Johnson Hardware, which is a door. It's a pocket door that mounts to the surface of the wall, if you could imagine that. That was very popular nationwide last year. For those of you that are saying, I need to retrofit, I've got a cased opening, but I can't, I can't swing a door. I don't have room to do that. It actually has a decorator track that mounts on the wall. It has the hardware that mounts to it. It looks like it's part of the room decor, but the door simply slides back on the surface of the wall and then slides to cover the opening. Rather unique, and I was surprised to see that in this list. And we go on in our top ten as well with a company called Rolex, R-O-L-L-E-X, not the watch, insulating steel siding. Again, that was one of those we just talked about. Uh, hydronic heating panel, which is an alternative heating source. Porter cable thermometer. This was also surprising. Infrared heat guns. Not only are contractors, but homeowners are buying these now to see where they're losing energy in and around their home. CertainTeed is a manufacturer of insulated vinyl siding. That one came over, came across very big last year. Exterior, the, excuse me, um, A.O. Smith water products. Tankless water heater. I wanted to get that one in. I couldn't get through all of these, but you asked me a lot of questions from time to time about those. Tankless water heaters, both electric and gas, were big across the country last year. And there were 40 others there. I'm not going to go through all of those, but many of these dealt with energy efficiency. They also dealt with accessibility. Some of those that made the top 50, and we talk about that occasionally on segments we do on the show when we deal with universal living. So that tells us as builders, as developers around the country, what you, the consumer, are looking for. You keep letting the architects, the engineers, your designers, and your contracts know what you want. The manufacturers are paying attention. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you want to reach Ken, you can at 800-614-2975 or through his website. That's KenTheContractor.com. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor, the show where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home, you can always be part of our program. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. Don't forget to check out our website. That is KenTheContractor.com. You'll find a lot of very important and useful home improvement information right there online at KenTheContractor.com. For Ken Patterson, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for joining us this hour. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.